0: hi everyone welcome back um here is another uh, podcast for you another bible bit uh, and this is the first of four uh, bible talks that i'll be doing uh, for staff at the school that i work at Um, every year staff gather together for professional development training um, uh, as we prepare for the coming semester uh, in the second half of the year Uh, i get the great opportunity to teach uh, teachers and other staff who work in our school um, parts of the Bible uh, and remind them, number one, what we believe as Christians, but also secondly, how these things can make a practical difference uh, to our professional jobs. Uh, this year, I'm going to be focusing in on the topic of uh, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins uh, and thinking about what do we actually mean when we say things like Jesus died for our sins. There's going to be four Bible talks that you can keep an ear out for. Uh, The first one is this one now that you're about to hear, which is about Jesus, the willing Passover lamb. Uh, The second one is about Jesus, the redeemer. The third one is about Jesus, the atoning sacrifice who brings justification. And lastly, uh, the fourth one is about Jesus, the reconciler. Um, Hopefully you get to listen in and hopefully they're in a great encouragement to you as well as you remember that Jesus is the one who died for us um, and Jesus is the one who died to take away our sins. Uh, I hope you enjoy these, and uh, as always, if you want to ask me a question, uh, feel free to drop me a line. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, Unfortunately, we are in the middle of another lockdown because of COVID um, here in New South Wales, in Australia. And so uh, these Bible talks are actually delivered uh, by me uh, over Zoom. Uh, And so, uh, you know, although I'm speaking to over 100 people, uh, the room does sound a little bit dead because I'm literally sitting in a room by myself, Uh, looking down the lens um, of a camera um, speaking to people all over the place. Uh, So uh, just forgive that, but continue to listen. I hope you enjoy this next little Bible bit. Thanks, Rami. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's great to see you today. Um, So we're going to jump straight into this. We've got um, a a significant chunk of time where we get to study God's Word together to start off in our PD week. Um, So uh, we're going to jump straight in. Hopefully you've got your Bible with you. Um, You're going to need that. Um, Hopefully you've got one either handy on your phone or I like to go old school, so grab your old school Bible if you can. Um, And then also I have sent you through via email um, a handout for this Bible study this morning. Um, I've also put it in the chat um, conversation here on Zoom as well, so you can download it directly from that conversation um, if you need to, you might just need to scroll up a little bit to find that. Um, you could download it, quickly print it, or open it on your iPad or computer and handwrite your notes on it using your stylus if you'd like to. Um, so uh, here we go. Uh, we're going to continue. Or we're going to continue in this theme that I've started with us last year of back to basics, um, and we're thinking about this title of Jesus dying for our sins. Um, for us as Christians, this story and this moment of Jesus uh, going to the cross, these final moments of Jesus, I think are really familiar to us. Um, it's, a, it's a moment that we celebrate really often. Um, it's a moment that we celebrate across our churches, in our families, um, as we gather around dinner tables with family and friends. Um, we might just celebrate it personally as we have our morning devotion and Bible study over our coffee and breakfast. Um, we might even uh, get together at Easter, like far out. We get a whole holiday mandated by the government to remember Jesus and these final moments of his life. So I think it's right to say that Jesus' final moments are really familiar to us. And it's so familiar, I think, that actually as Christians, the sort of thing that rolls off our tongues as Christians is to easily sum up Jesus' work on the cross by saying that Christians believe that Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins, right? Right? Well, today, as we begin this new Back to Basics theme today at you know, PD Week, um, I want to encourage us to think a little bit more about what we mean by this statement of this statement of Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. Um, this this uh, approach that I want to take with us uh, is because I'm convinced that we all need to grow in our faith, right? It's important that uh, we're all equally refreshed by the basic, basics of our faith. But that also that all staff, no matter who you are, we all need to remember what it is that we as Christians believe. And hopefully as we do that, that we might be stirred afresh by these things so that together we can determine best practice for our various roles here in our college. Um, You see, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a big believer that our theology, that is what we believe about God and his word, must make a difference to our practice, to what we do. Now last year, hopefully you remember that uh, in this Back to Basics theme, we looked at Genesis 1-3 to and we thought about creation, fall, redemption and reconciliation. And we put it together in a framework um, as set out in, those, in these chapters um, and said that well, we can actually use this in our teaching. Um, but we also said that this framework that we see in Genesis 1-3 to at the very beginning of the Bible is ultimately met in the cross of Christ. And so that's why we're going to the other end of the Bible this week to look at Jesus dying on the cross um, for our sins and to unpack actually a little bit more of, of what we might mean when we make that claim here together at school or in our homes or as we just make that claim to ourselves and we we'll remind ourselves about what we believe. Um, so can I just remind you that no matter who you are at this school, we're all Christians together here at this school. Uh, and so we're all working together in this common mission of life through Christ. Um, and so I just want to reiterate that it's important that we, we, we know what we mean by this commonly uttered phrase of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Whoever you are, no matter what job you do, we all share in the same ministry of proclaiming the cross of Christ and, and we all share in the fact that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. And so with this in mind, I don't want this morning session to be a lazy or light-hearted campfire chat about the Bible. I hope that you've read your Bible this morning for yourself, that you've taken five to ten minutes just to have a quiet devotion for yourself. Um, but actually, right now as well, I want you to, to dig in a little bit and to get ready to actually take this opportunity to, to think seriously about God's Word, to study the Bible, and to be trained in it nearly for a point of professional development. You see, our theology matters, yes, to our salvation, but our theology also matters to our practice as professionals here in our field. And so with this in mind, I'm also going to pray uh, that God will settle our hearts and minds and actually motivate us to learn from his word. So, so once again, let's come before the Lord and, and let's pray together. Uh, Almighty God, we thank you that we can open up your word together and we can think carefully about it. And we thank you for these truths that have taken root in our own lives. But Lord, I pray that um, these truths will also uh, help us as we work together here in this place. Lord, we pray that the wonderful truth of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins would be often on our lips as we proclaim the saving grace that comes through Jesus Christ alone. Lord, help us this morning to focus, uh, to concentrate, to learn, to not be distracted by screens and technology, but to take this opportunity seriously. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, to begin with, I want to ask you a question and actually get you to do something practical for one minute. Uh, And that is, I want you to consider what is it that you know about these final moments of Jesus's life? Um, So what I've done is on your handout, I've taken about 11 moments, significant markers from Jesus's final moments on earth before he died on the cross. Um, They're taken from Mark chapter 14 to 15. I've jumbled them all up. I wonder if you can take a minute to put them in the correct order. Um, they're there uh, on your handout. Um, your handout looks like like this. I'll share it up as well, just in case you don't have it handy. All right. So your minute starts now. Final 10. All right. Um, I wonder how you went. Um, I'll give you the answers. You ready? I'm just going to give you the numbers from the top down. Um, so, uh, and then we'll go, we'll read them through in order as well. Well, oh, actually, I'll do it the other way around. I'll, I'll say them in order. So, number one is the woman anoints Jesus with perfume. Uh, number two uh, is that Jesus celebrates Passover. Uh, number three, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Number four, Jesus is arrested. Number five, the Jewish rulers try Jesus. Number six, Peter denies Jesus. Uh, number seven, the Roman ruler tries Jesus. Uh, then number eight, Jesus is beaten. Uh, number nine is that Jesus is crucified. Uh, number 10, Jesus dies. And then finally, number 11 is Jesus is, is buried. Um, how did you go? Did anyone get 11 out of 11? Can't see if anyone did. Rami, can you see? No. Did anyone get like 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3? We won't go further than that because that might just be embarrassing. Um, but there we go. Here's this significant time, right? We, we hear about this often. Um, these are significant markers surrounding Jesus' final moments before, before he is dead, before he is crucified and he is nailed to the cross. Um, we're actually going to um, have a look at Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 25 now, and begin to think a little bit more about this moment where Jesus dies. And hopefully, I want to land in the Old Testament so that we can see that Jesus' death actually carries quite a significant cultural significance uh, as well. So, um, first of all, from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 25, hopefully you've got your Bible open uh, and you can follow along with me as I read. Mark chapter 14, uh, 1 to 25, Uh, it says, "'Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread "'were only two days away, "'and the chief priests and the teachers of the law "'were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. "'But not during festival,' they said, "'or the people may riot. "'While he was in Bethany reclining at the table "'in the home of Simon the leper, "'a woman came with an alabaster jar "'of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. "'She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he said to his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left. They went into the city, and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it's written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It will be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God." Here's the beginning of these final moments of Jesus' death, right? And we're not going to read all of Mark chapters 14 to 15, but I do want to sort of roll through these events before going over to the Old Testament. So let's think a little bit, first of all, about verses 12 to 16. And we see here, quite importantly, that Mark tells us that this is during the Passover season. And the disciples, the good Jews that they were, were very keen to celebrate this big Passover festival. And so, following Jesus' instructions, they settle in an upstairs room that is fully furnished and is ready for this Passover meal. Um, They're prepared for the Passover meal, and they get ready for Jesus to arrive so that they can enjoy it together. And in fact, Jesus does arrive. He comes, and after a moment, Jesus settles with the disciples, and he takes a bread, and he takes a wine of the Passover meal, and he does something significant. He gives this Passover meal a new meaning. You see, the disciples, they knew that this meal that they celebrated together and they often remembered pointed back to a great moment from Exodus, the moment where God rescued his people from Egypt. But now, Jesus does something else. Jesus says that this meal is about to show something about me, says Jesus. And the disciples don't know it yet, but Jesus is about to die. Although they don't know it, Jesus does know it, and he also knows the great significance of his death too. Significantly, even though Jesus knows that he's going to die, he still goes to the cross. And I think this is quite quite confronting, actually, because you see all the things that Jesus knows that he's just about to face. If you have a look in verses 26 to 52 in your Bible, we haven't read this part yet, but you can skim through as I'm talking about it. We see what Jesus knows that he's about to face. Jesus knows that, he's going to, he's, uh, that he's, as he's taken, that the disciples are going to fall away in verse 27. He knows that he himself is going to be struck down in verse 27. He knows that in verse 18 that he's going to be betrayed. He knows that it's going to be terrible and he's, he's going to be overwhelmed with great sorrow in verse 34. Um, he knows that he's going to be delivered into the hands of sinners, verse 41. Yet, Nevertheless, here in this moment, as Jesus heads to the cross we see Jesus' attitude was that he had come for this exact moment. Jesus had come for this Passover festival moment where Jesus would actually come to fulfil scripture to die. And although overwhelmed, although anxious, even to the point of sorrow, Jesus is here for this exact moment. Jesus' death is why he came. Now just pause here and and think about this for a moment and, and hold it significantly in your head because sometimes we look at this moment and we forget that here is Jesus and he is actually the second person of the Trinity who is taking the opportunity to save people. This is Jesus, the willing son, who obediently submits to the Father, even to the point of death. And so we must pause here for a moment and remember this because if we don't remember this, if we simply just say that this is Jesus the Son being sent by God to die, we just leave God as the Father who just gave up His Son to die. And tragically, that just leaves God to be something like a divine child abuser. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? But if we don't remember that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, that's how we leave God the Father. And that's not our God. Our God is not like that. Our God is three in one. And as we see in these coming days, as we look through this series, we're going to see that God comes as a man. And in Mark 14, we see God, the Son, who willingly faces death in this moment for us. Although anxious and although overwhelmed with sorrow, Jesus came for this exact moment to be arrested, to be tried, to be crucified and ultimately then to die. So in Mark 14 Verses verse fifty three to fifteen forty seven, we see how Jesus is arrested and he faces the trials. We see that Jesus faces trials from the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, um, and um, these are the these are the Jewish leaders who are looking for evidence against Jesus so they could kill him. Yet this is the perfect one. Jesus is the blameless one, the one who is without defect, without sin. And so we also see about Jesus that. Uh, that although they tried him, they couldn't find any evidence against him. Even the false testimonies they tried to drum up against Jesus, the well-rehearsed ones and the others that that were inconsistent in verse 56. Questions are thrown at Jesus in accusation, we see, but he remains silent. And his only words to them as he is tried is that he agrees in verse 62 that he is the Messiah. And here is what the chief priests wanted. Finally, they've got Jesus. Here is the blasphemy that they wanted. Jesus must, verse 64, he must die. And so tragically we read in verse 65 that they get Jesus and they spit on him. They beat him, they mock him. And we also see that the guards join in and heartbreakingly you also see in verse 66 to 72 that Peter denies Jesus, one of Jesus' closest disciples. This is everything that Jesus already knew was going to happen. Yet, do you notice, here he goes? Here is Jesus going to the cross, heading to the cross to die. In Mark 15, the trial of Jesus continues and Jesus is taken to the local Roman officials this time. Once again, his trial is unfair and biased. and the chief, sorry, the, the priests, they stir up the crowd and a criminal goes free while Jesus, the pure and the innocent one, is given over to be killed. We see that the crowd here is satisfied as Jesus, the king of the Jews, is sent to the cross to die. In verses 16 to 47 of chapter 15, Jesus is even mocked as a king. He's mocked as a king with those, that, that thorny crown that's put on his head, with the purple robe over his shoulders, with the false homage that's paid to him as they bow down and they worship him. Even the sign that is nailed over his head as he dies on the cross that read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Here he is, Jesus on the cross, crucified, the Messiah, the promised King of Israel, dying on the cross. But he didn't go to the cross simply just to sort of step down later on as some sort of dramatic act or demonstration of power. But Jesus willingly went to the cross to willingly stay on the cross, to willingly die on the cross Jesus stayed on the cross so that people would look and see Him up there and so that they would actually believe that this is Jesus the Saviour. This is Jesus the King. This is Jesus who really is the Son of God, the Righteous One, who came for the unrighteous. And So I wonder if you see what Mark is doing here. In verses 14 and 15, Mark is working really hard at showing us exactly who this Jesus King is. At this point of Passover, the one who is dying on the cross is none other than the Passover lamb. Here is Jesus, the one who is dying for the people. And this sort of thing has happened before, hasn't it? Not exactly the same, but there has been a Passover lamb in the past. And so if you flick over in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, um, you would read about it. In Exodus 12, God says to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, he says, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with with what each person will eat. The animal you must choose must be a year old male without defect and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community in Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That night they are to eat the meat Roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with the head, the legs, and the internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some have left it till morning, you must burn it. And this is how you must eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Here's this moment that God gives people directions to prepare the very first Passover lamb. They need to collect this lamb without defect. They need to slaughter it at twilight and they need to use the blood in a way so that they and all of God's people would actually be protected from the wrath of God. Because look at what God's going to do in verse 12. He says, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down the firstborn of both people and animals and I will bring judgment On all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the households where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. You see, using this blood of the lamb, they need to paint the doors of their houses. They need to feed on the flesh of the lamb and to trust God's covenant with them that they would be saved. You see, God was coming and he was coming to strike life, to pour out his wrath on those who did not trust in the blood of the lamb. Yet in Exodus, we see that for those who did, that God would pass over them and they would live. The blood of the lamb would mark them out and God would not strike them. He would pass over them. And so when you hold Mark 14 and 15, Together with Exodus chapter 12, can you put these two ideas together? Can you make the connection? In the familiar story of Mark 14 and 15, we see Jesus dying on the cross as the Passover lamb. Jesus is our willing sacrifice who died so that by his blood on the door frames of our lives that we would be saved. You see, our confidence and our hope is that although we sin, God will look at the blood of Christ that has been shed for us and he will pass over us. He will let us live. And this is the new promise that he has made for us. And this is the new promise that Jesus illustrated back in the upper room in Mark chapter 14. Remember when he took the bread and he took the cup and he's like, this is a sign that God will pass over. This is my body. This is my blood, he said. If you continue to think a little bit more about who this Jesus is we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 where it says that Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about the new promise that Jesus has brought in when he takes the bread and the cup and in 1 Peter verse 19 it says you know that it was not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of the life handed down to you um, from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. You see, Jesus is the Passover lamb and Jesus is the one that we need. Our sin means that the wrath of God is due to be poured out on us. The wrath of God is due to come into our very homes, into our very lives. However, it's only because of Jesus and his death on the cross, only because of Jesus and his body and blood that has been shed for us, that we are saved from our sin. It's because of Jesus, the Passover lamb, that the Lord will pass over us, that he will spare us from his wrath. And therefore, we will live. And so I've got to ask, do you trust in him? Do you trust in Jesus, the Passover lamb? Do you paint your life with the blood of Jesus, your perfect Passover lamb? Being saved for Israel was all about trusting God to stay true to his word about the blood of the lamb. And it's the same for us, too. In a world, I think, where we seek control, um, we seek control in everything and we're often frustrated when things just don't go away, I do want to say that I think that Jesus' death on the cross could present a bit of a challenge for us because Jesus' death on the cross says, don't trust in these other things, trust only in me, Jesus says. Trust only in me because I am the Passover lamb. I am the one who saves. I am the only one that's going to give you eternal salvation." And so particularly, I do want to add that as we start today in this new semester, this new term, and we face challenges all over again with COVID and whatever other challenges are coming through just because of the normal pressures of working in a school, we've got to remember that we can trust Jesus, can't we? Yes, he's the one who saves us from our sin. He died on the cross as our Passover lamb, but that means we can trust him every single day in the little things too. Our sin has been passed over, and now we belong to God as his people, and so we can continue to trust him as his people. But more specifically, I want to apply this to us as a Broughton staff. Now, incredibly, um, this Passover lamb was to serve as a wonderful reminder for God's people, right? This is something that they would continue to do. Go back to Exodus chapter 12 and have a look at verse 24. Um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 24 to 28. Um, God says, Obey these instructions about Passover as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. You see, here is this moment where God actually says this Passover meal is to be celebrated regularly together as God's people for you and for your children. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, his blood is shed for us and Jesus is the Passover lamb. That's what we've just learned. God will not strike us down. God will pass over us because of the blood of the lamb. And although we don't regularly eat a meal of lamb and bread, although that might be nice, let's do that from time to time, or even though we might not necessarily even share bread and wine in communion together here at school, we've got to remember that our lives are on display in such a way that our children might ask us, why do you live as you do? What is the meaning of your life, they could ask. And in light of the Passover, we ought to be able to look at them directly and say, I live this way because of the Passover sacrifice of Jesus. I live this way today because of him. Because God has passed over me and my sin." And so I live this way today because I trust in him. It's because Jesus died for my sins on the cross that God will pass over me and I'll have eternal life. We live in a particular way in light of the Passover lamb so that others would know about the saving work of the Lord. Um, secondly, in application as well for us here at our school, um, from 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19, I read it earlier before, and it says that since we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, we ought to have a sincere love for each other. A sincere love for each other, loving one another deeply from the heart. And so as those people who are together in community here at Broughton, how is our sincere love for one another? Do we have a sincere love for one another? Do we have a sincere love for the students that we teach or the students that we set up chairs for or the students that we sign in every morning or the students whose diaries we process for after school detentions? Do we have a sincere love for the families that come across our path, whether it's because it's a parent-teacher interview, whether it's because it's a difficult phone call with a mum, whatever it is, do we have a sincere love for people? As those who have been equally saved by the blood of the Lamb, do we love one another? Or is there favoritism and is there bias? Is our love sincere? Is it deep? And is it from the heart? To sum this up, I hope that you have seen that when we say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, what we're actually talking about here is Jesus, the Passover Lamb. Jesus, the Passover Lamb who willingly came to save us from the wrath of God. And so in Christ, what we all of a sudden have is a life to live, don't we? And so we can't help but hear the college motto ring out to us once again, I think. We have a life to live through Christ. The Passover lamb means that we have a life to live through Christ. And so I want to say that this is our hope, that this is our faith, but also This is our message. And so as we begin today, uh, let's pray in thanks of this. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have loved us. We thank you that Jesus has come for us to be our Passover lamb so that now we do not need to worry about the wrath of God, but we can be confident knowing that you will pass over us in our sin because of the blood of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us to put our hope in Jesus and his blood. Help us, Lord, to make this what we put our faith in. And Lord, help us to make this the message that we proclaim. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can get in contact with me via Twitter at MRKSchroeder or on the Anchor app you can actually leave a voice message. I'd love you to do that and I might include it in the next podcast. Catch you later.